When Shadows Fall by Sita Brahmachari is a novel about friendship, family, grief and healing. It's a poignant story about falling when trauma strikes and there's no one there to catch you and when the safeguards in society fail. It's principally the story of 17-year-old Kai and his friends who help him find his way back to his true self. To discuss this novel, I'm joined today by author Sita Brahmachari, illustrator Natalie Syrett, editor Matty Whitehead, and designer Charlie Moyler. There's a lot for us to talk about. It's such an incredibly uh, rich novel, and I had a deep affective response to the characters in this book, four young people, to the point that I forgot they were characters and I was thinking of them as people. I'm going to come to you uh, first, I think, Sita, to tell us a little bit about When Shadows Fall. What What is it and uh, what's it about? Yeah, this has been a momentous story for me. Um, I actually, it is in a way the first story I ever started to try and write. And I have been trying to write it for over 15 years, really, I suppose. Uh, it's a story of a, a small group of children who grow up on a city rec, recreation ground. And it's the, the time span of the novel, uh, which is narrated by the 19-year-old boy, Kai, um, is from nursery um, until they're just about to uh, go their separate ways. Only Kai isn't for the reasons that happen in the story. He's going to stay for another year and try and root himself a little bit more because he's had this massive fissure in his life. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail about that because you're sort of drawn through the story to know that there is going to be this this big fissure that's going to happen. But right at the beginning of the story, he's on his green hill with his notebook and he tells you, I am writing this story and wherever I take you to, and I will take you to the difficult places that have happened to me in my life, I am here and I am holding the pen and I am writing this. So mm-hmm. you're always held by Kai and his pen in the story. Um, but it's, you know, those, those, those young bonds that you have through life that no matter how sort of different you become in a way, they're those, those bonds that grow out of your growing years. Mm-hmm. And those are the bonds that I'm looking at in this story. Um, there is a moment in the story uh, where Kai splits and he is no longer able to tell his story on his own. And so as he is looking back on what has happened to him and his family and his community, he calls on his friends to help him complete the absences um, that he's unable to fill in. And the people that are there are a girl that he's been in love with, Orla, um, all his life really. And Omid, um, a young boy that arrives in year eight, who is a refugee child from Aleppo. And he doesn't have much English when he first arrives, but he knows what trauma is and he spots the trauma in Kai. So he speaks to Kai in pictures. This is why this story is written in so many forms, because the young people in the story speak in so many forms. And the impetus of the whole book is for each of the young people to find their way to express themselves. You didn't mention Zach. No. Zach is a very interesting character and was very much 
more part of the story as I was writing. Zach is a character that has many more safety nets in his life. And the three young people that I focus on in this book do not have large safety nets. So when things go wrong, when shadows fall, they don't have a lot of people around them to help them. And as I carried on writing the story, I realized that if Zach was so much part of this group of friends, it was almost as if the story was being seen through the lens of a more privileged person. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that. I wanted us to feel how it was to, to be these young people not reflected through anyone else's lens. Yeah. So um, we're going to hear you read a little bit from Dear Reader, which is your note, really, to the readers. Dear Reader, this is a story long in the telling, planted into childhood, finding form and wings in words. When shadows fall, you stand beside, so says Ahmed, whose message I too stand by. This is a story that has your back. It stands by you who walk this tender earth, seeking light. This is a story tree of survival, with world-wandering roots, a strong trunk, wide-reaching, sustaining branches for all to shelter under, in family, friendship, community, love. This story is in your hands to have and to hold. In it, you'll find the passing of a pen and charcoal to make art from scorched earth. Take it up and feel its force, for now it's your time to fly. I'm going to bring in uh, Matty next because I wonder whether she had such a deep response as I did to, you know, when you first saw this manuscript, you must have known you'd got a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did. I am. I remember so clearly reading it and instantly messaging the rest of the team and saying, everyone has to read this. It's brilliant. And I mean, it's changed. We've worked on it for about three years now um, together. And it's changed a lot in the sort of the shape of the story and the plotting. But I think what's really stuck is the characters and the heart and the themes. You say that the story changed its shape. What, What do you mean there? So the story originally was very, it was more focused in the present day. And there was, it was slightly more balanced between the characters and the relationships were a little bit different. So in this version, what we wanted to bring is, as we talked about Kai as being the symbol of hope, is we wanted to see him as a child and sort of show those friendships forming. So we have that real sunlight at the beginning and that you can really understand the bond that they have, which then carries them through. So the way the story turned out, it sort of covers a longer span of time um, and we really get to know the characters. Sita, maybe I should ask you, what what um, role did Matty have in that shaping? Matty came and she would ask these questions about where the focus was because it was almost kind of like painting, so I suppose, a Larry-esque picture of a community. It was the whole thing. And um, the questions that Matty asked me made me see which of the characters I really need to give, give the most space. So these, these three young people grow up in, in a beautifully drawn kind of 1960s flat called Greenland. And they're each on a different floor of these flats. And in a funny sort of way, once, once Matty started asking me, asking me the questions, I started 
thinking of these young people as kind of growing out of this landscape. And I think what I allowed myself to do is very much see them as you would in a piece of theatre. These three young people in this place, rooted in this place, living in this flat, hearing each other's lives. And I just allowed myself to stay there. And I, I allowed myself to trust in the microcosm of the story. Really interesting. Now, we'll come back maybe to some other aspects of the writing, because this this book is beautifully crafted. There's a lot of patterning with the birds, with the towers. You know, there's a, the Tower of London, but there's the Tower Blocks. There's lots of all sorts of patterns and repeating and layering. And that extends as well to the visual um, aspect of this book. And I want to bring in Natalie. Um, Tell us how you come into the picture. Okay, well, I think that I first read a version of this story, perhaps even 10 years ago. And what um, Sita has just said about trusting the microcosm was where I really, although um, I always, whenever I read Sita, my head fills with pictures. She's an extraordinarily visual writer. But this focusing in on this microcosm, that was the moment for me when I thought, wow, this is operatic. This is enormous because it's the simplicity of making it so intense and so simple and in in the text as well there were all of these little traces and bubbles little bird footprints or the bubbles from the bubble bath in the early scenes that it was so easy to imagine those little tiny bits of image tracking you into the book and of course I as an artist I had the promise of being able to express Kai's experience when he had no words it was very inspiring and exciting for me, a, a wonderful job to try and take that on. It's interesting because it is almost exclusively about these characters' interior lives. So as a, an illustrator, what you're doing is sort of illustrating what's going on in their heads, but it's externalising it. I'm always interested in the interior life. And what I would try and do is find an image to match the emotion. Mm-hmm. And quite often... That's the simplest image, and it's just the tiny things, you know, the tilt of the head, the stance of the figure, uh, the contrast or the texture in, in, in the image, because, to quote the phrase, every picture does tell a story, and it does it best when it's it's most simple, and, and that was a wonderful challenge. There are, as you say, you know, the bubbles um, that are just on the sort of edges and around the corners and edges of the oh. paper, um, speak volumes and then you have these wonderful images where uh, the ravens and you know the character oh. you've just got the shadow I, I think it's of Kai sort of melting into the image of the flying raven which is really yeah. knocked back and just a very pale gray and he's just oh. a little darker over the top of that and that Absolutely. says so much well it does and, and here we have to credit um the brilliant art editor Miss Charlie Moyler she would take um textures from pieces of my artwork and then ask for a shadow outline and she made a lot of those combinations happen and she had a a big contribution to the look of the book. We have to bring you in Charlie that's our segue (laughs) and it's definitely a case I should say of last but not least because as we (laughs) said when we were talking this is an artifact it's a it's a co-created 
work of art. And without a good designer, I know that it would not be the same book. I've been sitting on my hands. I almost want to raise my hand at every sort of moment to say, oh, I'd like to add this in. And because what Asita did brilliantly was she did give us a lot of art direction for what those images needed to be and what story they were telling. And that was a privilege, actually, to be working with not only an author that was prepared to give space for the artwork, but was also prepared to give us their best ideas for it. I think that worked really well. Could you give us a specific example of a really great idea that came to you that way? It's a collaboration, really, between Natalie and Sita and Matty and myself. But I think that I would I would always say that an art director in, in amongst these creatives is the backbench and what you have to do is you have to try and pull together other people's ideas and you have to make it work you sort of project manage from the background in that sense Mm -hmm. so there are some scenes towards the end of the book that are completely unwritten and actually we had to really look at what Sita had written for those moments that weren't written so the kind of the art notes that Sita had provided us and yeah we we just had to look at it quite carefully didn't we Natalie we had to kind of unpick what we thought Sita was after and then try to decipher what we thought we could do with that and and how we could portray it and I think I hope that this book gets made into a film because I think it's going to be quite epic. Can I ask you about the choice of fonts because I read it first in the proof and then when I saw it in not the finished copy but a, a pdf that was a later version and the text started to be broken up and with different fonts and sort of borders around the text was that your input there yes so the kind of the basics of the the design you start by laying in the text and you start by trying to decipher the different voices within the text and how how they're going to read so you start thinking about fonts and you start thinking about your page layout And that's even before you really pay attention to what you're going to be illustrating. So we have different voices. To be honest, I think Kai has two different voices, three Mm -hmm. different voices sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting getting the fonts right for him was really important. And then deciding how we were going to then introduce the different voices for Om and Orla and, yeah, how everything was going to work. Matty, yes. I was just going to add that in part of the edit, with sort of going back in time, we jump between the present and the past. So we had to make sure for the reader that it's clear when you're reading Kai's sort of the past that he's recorded and when we're with Kai in the moment as he's writing. Mm-hmm. So Charlie and I had a few conversations about how we could make that as clear as possible. And we sort of had different ideas, but actually I think the fonts that Charlie went with sort of do make it really clear and give mm-hmm. us that sense just to help guide the reader a bit so that they know where they are. I wanted to take us to the title of the book, When Shadows Fall. And I'm interested for a number of reasons. One, when when the title came to be the title, but to me it's such a superb title. You know, it could be When Darkness Falls. It's different to say When Shadows Fall and whether fall means they're falling away or whether shadow is coming upon you. And then how that's sort of interpreted through the artwork as well. You know, that as an idea, Sita, was the title always there? 
No. For a long time, it had tit- titles which were connected to the wreck. But, you know, we say the wreck, but it's not the wreck in every country. It's not the same thing. And it didn't have that sort of epic feel we wanted. Um, but Omid Om- says at one point in the story, when shadows fall, you stand beside. And I think as soon as I saw the kind of ambiguity in, in what he was saying, um, I really loved it because, you know, this, these characters are so layered. And, um, and yeah, you can absolutely read it. When shadows fall, light comes in. Mm-hmm. Or when, when shadows fall, could be a depression. It can be read in so many different ways. And I think yeah. the great thing about shadows is, unlike darkness, you can't have a shadow without light. So what did it mean to you as an artist, though, Natalie? I love the darkness and the light. And I love working in monochrome anyway, but but to just play with all the different ways you can express mood and feeling with darkness and light. Whether it was, um, well, I made the bubbles by, um, there's a technique for bubble painting you do in nursery school. You put sugar in, you know, washing up liquid and water and put some Indian ink in and you blow in and the bubbles erupt over paper and then they print and so I I just felt there was an elemental nature to the book there was fire there was air there was water all all of those things and I had the most wonderful amount of fun playing with techniques as much as possible but to say something that is so profoundly meaningful and I'm very concerned in my own practice and my own artistic practice about the many things that the young in particular go through in society and you know looking at cultural icons body image all of those things and and looking at how so many young people get blighted by image actually um, Mm -hmm. in in, in this current day So, so to have an opportunity to express my own feelings about that through these incredibly vivid characters in in a very splashy and painterly way as one might say I just think I lucked out sounds to me just listening to all of you talk a little bit like when you work on a theatre production you know how you become so much of a family when you're doing those things I just think part of the joy has been that we've been able to lean on on the strengths within this kind of group and I think Natalie's strengths were to completely drawn out the kind of the textures and the the dark versus the light and and all of the kind of the the composition and the playfulness as well as the the emotion just being able to really say to Natalie as an art director do you know what lean into that lean into your strengths here really you know really paid off Sita I want to ask you about the craft if you like of the writing which seems so effortless but must have been you know consciously thought out because um, we have this pairing if you like of towers the tower of London and that the tower block we have the ravens that are in the tower and they're in this you know the green hill site and all of these things that are threaded and woven through it just feels so natural it must have been worked on it's very difficult for me to talk about this book, actually, because I have this sort of twisted gut when I think about these young people. And in a strange way, I feel like this book has waited for this time because so many young people are being 
left by a, a system that doesn't have a safety net mm-hmm. for them. In terms of mental health crises, there's a report that came out last week in which said that you know, 60% of young people in um, youth detention services and who are, have been excluded from school, 60% are mm-hmm. black or mixed heritage children, young people. Mm-hmm. And that it goes on. Now, I have been seeing this for a very long time since I began working in communities. I worked in a, a unit for excluded young people um, when I worked at the Royal Court Young People Theatre. And the aim of, of that work was to, to invite the, uh, these young people to come and write their stories, and just like Kai. I've been writing this story all my life in communities. And so I have felt completely in service to this story. And I've been writing this story while I've been writing all my other stories. And I feel that this story is, if I don't do justice to their voices, I really feel like I am then failing young people who've already been failed. Mm. Um, because the, what what these young people in the story are, are trying to do is they're trying to get people to hear their voices. You know, Kai actually waits outside the school and says, please let me back in. Please. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, that's one of the most poignant moments in the story where he, he, he is desperate to get back in. And there are people who really want to fight for him, but mm-hmm. the system doesn't allow them to do it. And so I feel once this story is out in the world, I want it to be owned by so many people. You know, I want it to own, be owned by the amazing people who work in centres, sometimes they're in school, sometimes they're out of school, with young people who feel like they've already been written off. Um, I want it to be taken by those people and then worked with with these young people. And I was really pleased to hear um, from English and Media Centre that um, they felt that in this story, young people who might not even be, who might feel that reading isn't for them, Mm. could read this book and feel like, okay, this is my place as well as uh, young people who love reading. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the quote that he gave, which was um, which was that uh, Kai is that rare thing in young adult fiction, a lead protagonist who will appeal to avid and reluctant readers alike. That really, I was, I was really moved to hear that because that was my aim, mm-hmm. that nobody will be excluded in the telling of this tale. And so, you know, I know we'll work hard to get this, this story out to some of the most disenfranchised people who, who you know don't get don't get to hold books in their hands all of the time or don't get access to books. I suppose this story, I see it all around me. When we first moved into this area in Haringey, I walked across this wreck and it was an abandoned space. And I thought, oh, this is so sad because there were groups of young people who were kind of finding ways to sedate themselves in this land, who were clearly just outside, outside of everything. Mm-hmm. And people were walking by, including myself. That was when I had the seed of the idea. I thought, how, how is it possible that we were allowing these young people in plain sight to be abandoned at that age of you know, 12, 13, 14, 15? Then um, I heard about this man, Robbie Subdeo, who, who had a plan for the park. And all of the years of living here, each year, something more beautiful has come and more beautiful has come. And during just right at the end when Matty and I were working on the book, I said, Matty, you won't believe it, that the park is actually going to change its name 
to the Oliver Tambo Recreation Ground. And then there's this, in the heart of what was the wreck, is this beautiful bust of Oliver Tambo. And every time I walk past, I just think, wow, that is what people with vision for community can do. And obviously, Oliver Tambo was a refugee, and Omid, in my story, is also a refugee child. So that's really what this story is about. It's about taking care and whose responsibility is it and what you can, what we can all do. And also the preciousness of that land and that ground. And I didn't really understand, I'm, I'm afraid I'm very slow to understand what I do. And I didn't really understand how important the land was. Actually, Matty was the person that said to me, Sita, how, how did you create this character of this land? And I'm like, well, I don't know, because the kind of characters grew out of it and then the land came with it. And they have to really fight for this tiny, tiny patch of land and um, to be in nature and to find themselves in nature, um, as Kai and his father get to do through their childhood. Natalie, you're nodding at that one as well. I love this, um, Matty's phrase of, of, of the land being a character in the book. So I'm just nodding in agreement with that. And I also, I'm interested in Sita's experience of not knowing what she's doing until something is written and she reflects on it. And I recognise that from making visual work. Often it's the best ideas that come. You have to get them out somehow, put them down uninterrupted by rational thought about how it might be received or read or understood or anything because you have to allow it its own existence mm-hmm. and its own vivacity mm-hmm. you know respect it as as not yours but whatever it is that's coming through that's how it always feels to me when I'm really working well and I I, I, I felt that off the text every time I read a different version there was this intensity coming through Sita or and so I think you've done it love you're fine just to let you know (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant one of the things I felt most about writing this book is the brilliance of young people to observe each other if they're given space to do it and to help each other and to empathize with each other and I suppose you know in every kind of action of who looks at who and how does who does what it's been that. It's been getting the truth of how that person could see that other person. Mm. And in a strange sort of way then, even though I quite often write about writing and talk about writing, it hasn't really been about my writing. Mm-hmm. It really has felt like I have been in service to these young people. Well, I feel that you have given us a real, really powerful insight uh, into the book and also a really powerful advocacy for us to get this book into the hands of young people and so people can recognize their own experience but also recognize their own power and that's why the first line of this story is so important because it's not you're a victim it's you can have the power to grow something out of this experience And um, I just thank you all very much, you know, for the time that you've taken uh, to be with me this afternoon uh, to talk about When Shadows Fall. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us.
To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.